Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode. Um, This episode we do at the end of every year, and it is a compilation of our best episodes, in our opinion. I think the most, either the most engaging episodes or the most inspirational, something that you can take a little nugget away from headed into 2024. Now, you can go back and it's almost like a teaser to go back and listen to these full episodes, but we wanted to showcase a few stories that we found inspirational that meant something to us and conversations that really piqued our interest. So that way we can provide them to you. If you've missed a couple episodes throughout the year, this is kind of just a, a nice way to get a montage or a compilation of the top episodes that for us, in our opinion, and based on downloads. So there's there's a lot of factors in there, but we wanted to bring them to you at the end of the year. Yeah. And you'll notice they're not just like random comments too. Like we're going to give you six, seven minutes of like real in-depth conversation so that you can kind of get into that conversation and maybe explore more. Like Rai said, if you want to go listen to the full episode, it's really just a thank you to some of those guests that have come on and our listeners to to showcase what we've done over 2023. We're, again, I'll mention, we're, we're super thankful to even just be able to do this. The fact that we have people that listen to our show, it like brightens my day. I like think about it every day I wake up. I'm like, damn, people like to listen to us. And I, I'm just, I'm really grateful for it. And I appreciate everyone that has tuned in that if we've you know provided value to you, it just makes me happier as a person. And I, and I, I, I want to say thank you for tuning in for 2023. We're look, really looking forward to, to seeing you in 2024. And we got a lot of cool things going on. We're going to share a lot more of our story because 2024 is going to be a big year for us. We're really excited about it. And I'm just, I'll, I'll say it again, I'm just really grateful. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it any better. It does just bring uh, a light in the morning. Every time you wake up, you just got this little extra burst of energy realizing you know you found something that you're passionate about, you're providing value to others and just getting DMs from people and, and questions and things. It's, it's great. We have a community. So uh, thank you to everybody that's listened so far. I will say we are um, we're itching closer, inching closer, I should say, to 200 uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts. We have a bunch on Spotify as well. But if you have not yet, it's really simple. Um, and very much appreciated. If you're uh, in the holiday spirit. If you're in the, yeah, if you're in the giving mood, uh, all <laughs> you have to do is click our show, then click reviews and leave us a review and just type something in. You can put an emoji. You can tell us your honest feedback, anything you want. But the more reviews we get, we get pushed up in the rankings and it helps us to expand our reach and get higher quality guests on the show for you. And in turn, really is just to showcase their stories and hopefully inspire you, make a connection. So um, I know there's a roundabout way from me, of me asking, can you please leave us a review? Um, let us know your honest feedback. We'd, we'd more than appreciate it. We're trying to get to 200 by the end of the year. I think we're about like 30 or 40 away from that. So if, if a good amount of people do it, we will be locked in. But um, other than that, we are excited to uh, to be done with another year. The Weekly Juice podcast has been great. And we have big things in store for 2024. Thanks for tuning in this year, guys. We so greatly appreciate it and looking forward to next year. Thanks again. When you have investment properties and tenants, you need a good system in place for collecting rent to make it easy as possible. And RentReady can help you with everything. When you sign up for RentReady, you can start adding your properties, inviting tenants, and creating charges. You can even set up automatic rent reminders and create auto late fees as well. For tenants, they can pay via ACH, card, or even cash using RentReady's web and mobile apps. They can also use an automatic payment setup and sign up for rent reporting so they get rewarded for paying rent on time. RentReady saves you time and hassle by automating rent collection, and you can manage everything from one dashboard. For our Weekly Juice listeners, RentReady's given us a special 50% off for any RentReady plan using our code WEEKLYJUICE at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using the code WEEKLYJUICE. That's W-E-E-K-L-Y-J-U-I-C-E to save 50% off any RentReady plan. Episode 147, Tarek Musa. So I just want to start off with this. There are no entry to barriers when it comes to real estate investing. Meaning when I started, I had no skill. I had no money. I had no network. I had no connections. I was a poor kid living in my mom's garage because I couldn't afford to rent out my bedroom. So that's the truth. So all those people out there thinking, well, if I had this, well, if I had that, I could be a real estate investor. 
by the end of today's webinar, I hope all of that's gone and you convince yourself that you can do this because the only person stopping you from doing this is you. So I started real estate at the age of uh, 19, 20 years old. So when I was 19 years old, I was selling Cutco kitchen knives. I was right out of high school. Man, I hated college. I was driving around, couldn't find parking, couldn't find classrooms, forget my pencils, forgot my, it was just a nightmare and I hated school. Um, and I was doing pretty good selling these kitchen knives. You know, I was making some decent money, enough to pay my rent and, and pay my bills, but nothing special by any means. And one day um, I went to start making my sales calls and I realized I lost my entire lead book. So I had all my my knife leads in this book that I had, I had built and I literally put myself out of business. <clears throat> and this was, <clears throat> excuse me, this was 2003. So there was no there was no tracking systems. There was nothing. There was it was just a book. So I'm at a Washington Mutual ATM in Cerritos, California. And man, I was looking at the ATM and I, and I had what I like to call a defining moment. And a defining, uh, defining moment is a moment in your life that changes the trajectory of your life. <clears throat> and I, I had an oh shit moment. I'm running out of money. I looked up and I was like, man, what am I going to do? And I looked to the right and there was a crooked sign. This sign says, wise old owl, real estate school. So, so I, I took a second. I was like, you know what, man, if I could, I, if I could sell knives, I could sell houses. It's just, it's just bigger, right? So at that exact moment, I walked across the parking lot and I signed up uh, to take these real estate classes. So a few months later, um, and at the time, just to give you a picture of my life, I'm living with my girlfriend in Cerritos, California. At the time, her parents wanted me out of that house. So they, I got kicked out of the house and we actually broke up. I called my mom. I was like, hey, mom, I need to move back home. And I had moved out like, you know, nine months earlier. And she goes, and my parents had just got divorced. So she's like, well, I just rented out your bedroom. So I know where to go. I said, okay, well, what if I stay in the garage? And she's like, if you want to stay in the garage, you can, but understand this was a garage. The cars were in there. The dirt bikes were in there. The jet ski was in there, the spray paint cans, the tools. And I literally pushed a cot into the middle of the garage. So my first six months in the real estate business, man, totally struck out. Uh, no sales, nothing. Um, and in one day there was this, um, there were these agents in my office talking about how stupid other real estate agents were for going and getting training from this real estate coach named Mike Ferry. And I was a 20 year old kid. I'm like, wait a minute. I had baseball coach, football coach, hockey coach. You can get a business coach. I was so young and naive. I didn't even know that a business coaching was a real thing. So, you know, young, stupid me, while these other agents are saying terrible things, I'm like, I got to go check this out. So it was at a Sequoia athletic club in Buena Park, California. I don't know if you've ever heard Mike Ferry speak, but this guy's a genius, man. He convinced me I could do anything. He convinced me I was the smartest guy, the best looking guy. I was going to be the richest guy. And at the end of this event, like I was inspired for the first time in my life, I got to hear a professional speaker. So I, I took a, a yellow piece of paper. I wrote him a note. It said, Hey Mike, my name's Tarek El Musa. You don't know who I am today, but one day you will. That's all the note said. And by the way, he does know who I am today. I'm sure he does. <laughs> so, so, and at the time I was rock bottom. I was totally broke, no money, no nothing. So I signed up for one-on-one -on -one coaching. It was a thousand dollars a month. Guys, I did not have a thousand dollars a month. This is back in 2003, which is like three grand a month today. So I put it on my credit card, man. And, and I told myself, it's like, listen, I had not gave myself 90 days. And here was what I told myself. I have 90 days to make it in real estate or I have to stick with college. So here's what I, so that's the deal. I made a deal with myself. So my deal was I'm going to work six days a week. I'm going to be the first one in the office. I'm going to be the last one to leave. And if I can't pull this off in 90 days, and I fail. I'm going back to school. So here's what happened. Within 90 days, I went from being a broke 20 year old kid living in my mom's garage to 90 days later, I earned over $120,000 in real estate commissions selling houses, which came to about $40,000 a month, right around my 21st birthday. I moved from my mom's garage and bought almost a million dollar house in Orange County, California. So people say with real estate, it takes a long time to change your life and make a lot of money. I call bullshit. You can make money fast in this business. Okay. Get rid of the excuses. This is a sales business. You can make tremendous money fast when it comes to real estate sales 
and real estate investing, if you're willing to put in the work and if you know what to do. So my life exponentially changed overnight. And here's the interesting thing. All I did was this. I called something called expired listings. An expired listing is a house that was listed with a real estate agent. If it didn't sell for the term of the contract, it notifies all the agents and the MLS that the home is no longer for sale and you have a legal right to go solicit those listings. And of course, it's me and every other real estate agent trying to get the same deals. My first two weeks, three weeks of doing this, I had already put together like $50,000 in future commissions in my pipeline. So I'm like, holy shit, I figured this out. So one night during this 90-day sprint that I had where I generated over $120,000, about two to three weeks in, I sold real estate all day and I got to my college class at night. It was from 7 to 10 p.m. And it was about the rocks and the science of Canada. And I remember I remember sitting in the back of this classroom thinking, man, in two weeks, I put together $50,000 in commissions and I'm sitting here learning about rocks in Canada. What am I doing? I'm looking You're at the, the wrong place. I'm looking at the professor thinking, shit, I'm 20 years old. I just made more money in two weeks than you're going to make in nine months. What am I doing in this classroom? So then I burned the boats, as they call it. I looked down. I looked at my backpack. I looked at my books. I looked at my scan chart. I looked at everything I had. I left it. I, I walked out of the classroom. And the reason I left it was simple. I couldn't go back. I didn't have the money. I'm not going to buy all those books again. I'm not going to buy that calculator again. I'm not going to buy that backpack again. So that was my last day in school. I left everything in that classroom, burned the boats, walked out, and never looked back. So I'm a big believer in going all in on yourself. Once, once, But here's the thing. You can only go all in on yourself if you're the type of person that's going to go all in. A lot of people, they say, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to quit this, this, and this. I'm going to go full-time real estate. And then they work freaking four hours a day. I was working 12 to 18 hours a day doing whatever it took to figure it out. So... I left school. I'm now living in this like 3,000 square foot house. I'm a young kid. I got roommates. I have a shark tank, no furniture. And all my, my neighbors thought I was a drug dealer because I was so young. And from <laughs> there, sure. yeah, from there, I started building teams. And then um, 2006 came around, inventory spiked. Everything I was doing stopped working. And I went out telling everybody, hey, I think a crash is coming. This was in 2006. And everybody's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a young kid. I was telling wealthy people too. I sold my last investment property except for one of them, December. Uh, actually, I sold one in December of 06. And then my personal house, uh, I think it was in February, March of 07. Weeks later, the subprime market crashed. So I got out of those deals right before the market crashed. But what happened was I stopped making money because none of my none of my listings were selling. So I had to downsize my life. So I sold my Cadillac Escalade, my BMW, my toys, my million dollar house. And I moved into this tiny little apartment with a roommate. So talk about rock bottom. I felt like I was back in that garage. Like literally, I went from having a million dollar house to paying 700 bucks a month in rent. Like that's how bad it got. I mean, I, I had no idea how to make money. In 2007, at one point, I went over four months without a paycheck working 12 to 18 hour days. So most people, they quit and I, and I never quit. And throughout that, you know, I was just always trying different things. So I started doing short sales in 2009 and then late or and then early 2010, I did a short sale. It had a first lien, a second lien, a third lien, an HOA lien and an IRS lien. I negotiated this freaking thing for like 11 months. I found the buyer. I found the seller. Negotiated with the banks. Negotiated with the IRS. At the end, I got a check for $7,000. $7,000. And the investor that bought it, well, he cut the lawn. He steam cleaned the carpets. He painted the inside. Well, he hired someone to paint the inside. And a couple of days later, he sold it. And he made a profit of over $130,000. So that was... That was the exact moment in my life that I realized I was on the wrong side of the equation. And in that moment, I said, all right, I need to be a real estate investor. At this time, I think I'm 28 years old. Again, the market's in shambles. I'm living in an apartment. I'm driving a car with roll-up windows. I literally had to sell everything I had. And I started pitching everybody. It's like, hey, the opportunities here to invest in real estate. So I would go to people say, hey, you want to partner with me? You want to invest with me? I started trying to raise private money. Every single person I talked to shut me down. 
Every single person said, you're too young. It's too risky. You don't know what you're doing. It's too speculative. But I kept going. And every time someone would tell me no, it pissed me off a little bit more to where I was going to prove them wrong. I love proving people wrong because I do feel like anything is possible in life. I mean, shit, we put a man on the moon. You're telling me I can't go flip a house? (laughs) Exactly. Come on. Let's be real here. So I kept going. And then finally, uh, one day I pitched the only uh, successful wealthy person I know. And his name was Pete DeVest, who is still one of my business partners today. And within seconds, he goes, sure. I was like, did I hear that right? He goes, yeah, yeah. If you find a deal, we'll flip it together. You do the work, I'll put up the money. I'm like, done. So the deal I made was I do all the work. I find it, I fix it, I sell it. They fund it. We split profits 50-50. So here's what I learned in that moment. We're all told, you know, to network and we're all told to raise money from people we know. But here's the biggest problem. The people that we ask, and this is for everybody listening to this podcast right now, they don't they don't know what to do either. They're not real estate investors. You're going to get bad advice. They're going to tell you it's risky. They're going to tell you it's no. But why in the world would you ever take advice from someone that's never done it? So what I found is you need to make sure you're asking the right people. And another big misconception is who is that right person? I remember growing up, if there was someone in the neighborhood, like a couple blocks over with a C-class Mercedes, I was like, they've got to be rich. They have a Mercedes. I'm going to go ask them what to do. They don't know what to do. And that's the beautiful thing about today in technology. Like you can learn from real influential people. Like, like, you know, like huge names, Grant, myself, Grant Cardone, Ed Milet, uh, Jamil Damji, uh, Pace Morby. Like there's so many incredible people out there you can learn from. Episode 151, Robert Croak. It's, it's an easy route. I think for people that are, that are listening to our show, they're kind of at that point where they're like, Hey, listen, I have the index funds. Maybe I'm not sure if I need to have these in my 401k, my Roth IRA, do I have them in my brokerage? Like maybe I have them everywhere. And then they're like, okay, to become wealthy and build generational wealth, I need to get into the real estate game or I need to get in venture capital. I need, I need to create my own product. Right. And that's, they have their foundation, which I totally agree with you. It starts there and you learn investing. But for the next stage, what do you recommend for people? Let's talk maybe real estate. And when you have a larger sum of cash to get into the to the big fish game, how do you navigate that? Yeah, so exactly what you said earlier is I would start with buying a duplex or a fourplex. And that's if you're, let's say you have 50, 60 grand and you can go ahead and make a move on that. I would house hack that because then the tenants are going to pay your mortgage and you have not only you can live for free and then take the money and go buy another property, but also you'll you'll have all the capital appreciation. And then as you grow more, then you can do larger multifamily deals, syndication deals and stuff like that. But if you go too big, too fast and you're wrong, let's say you get that hundred grand and you're like, I'm going to put all I'm going to put 80 of my hundred into one real estate deal. What if it's wrong? What if then the market slows down and the capital appreciation goes to 3% and let's say that it's mismanaged or the fees are too high? Because that's number one of the number one things I do as a practice for myself is whenever I see a big influencer come up in the real estate game, I will secretly challenge them. And what I do is when they post this, join this new program and get in on this, this, and this, I'll be like, okay, cool. I'll sign up. I'll go through all the diligence with them. And it's usually kind of funny because when I ask the hard questions or I ask to see their fee structures and I ask to see their documentation and their P&Ls, they shy away. And so for me, I would say the first iteration, the first step would be a duplex or a fourplex. And then I would move up to a multifamily if you find someone that you can partner with that you trust, you know, somebody that you personally know or somebody in your family knows or someone that's killing it that will let you in on those deals. I love that. But I would delay getting the the family home. That's one of the things that I preach a lot, as you guys know, is that I think you should wait on your first home, your first real estate project being your family home, you know, because money is all about velocity and your money is dead, dead in the water. If it's your family home, it's not making you money. It's not writing you a check every month. So I would say the index funds, then the real estate, and then venture out into other investment strategies that could be, you know, buying small businesses. I love small businesses. Um, Cody Sanchez talks about it a lot about buying boring small businesses. Um, she's spot on. Um, she glamorizes it a little much for me sometimes where it makes it seem so easy where I got, I got this property for 200,000 and it makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. I've never found a, pro, a, a business that I could buy for 200, and make a hundred with a year, but 
she has a she has a great team and and I like what she's preaching. Um, but I would say small businesses. And then as you grow that and you're starting to multiply and have leverage, then you start using more credit for leverage. And then I would say from there, then you can start with your angel investing and building out more. Or if you just love real estate, some people go their whole lives and build all their wealth in one category. I just don't do that because when the bottom drops out, then you lose it all. And so like right now, all the guys that have been Airbnb arbitraging for the last three years, a lot of those guys are going to get wiped out and they're going to be bankrupt if things keep going the way they are. We'll see if this economy straightens out or if it gets worse and worse, like a lot of the top guys think it will. But there's just so many ways to make money now that there's no excuse not to go out and use leverage and try different things like Turo, renting cars, Airbnb arbitrage. These are all things you can do with very little money and really grow a lot of income. Yeah. And Robert, I think it's it's very important that you said that at that stage that you're talking about is you have your baseline already set, right? Yep. It's very hard to go try Turo and go try real estate and go try if you have $10,000 in the bank account. It's That's very, right. very hard. So right, the way Ryan and I felt like we've been able to diversify and we have a small, a small real estate portfolio, but we're diversifying within the asset class, right? We have long-term rentals. We have short-term rental. We're in syndications. So now if real estate all goes to shit, then we have a big problem. But I think the point is, is that we've partnered with really good operators. And we've also, we also bought, you know, in early 2020 in some of our rentals where we got great interest rates and the rents are great. And even if it drops, we just don't sell. So I think there's diversification strategies within each of those uh, sectors too that can help uh, where I would not, just say, hey, we're just going to dive all the way in on short-term rentals at this time. Because I, I do, I think that there's market dips and we I love the midterm right now because there's so many cities and so many like hospitals that are hiring and there's and like you know you can get a professor that stays for six months. You can get a guy working on a construction project that stays for six months. I love that. And I don't want to chase this shiny object syndrome. That's it's hard to do. But I think within a market segment that you know, real estate's definitely been it for us. And that's I I um I totally get what you're saying though. If if you go all in as on the arbitrage, like in one city, you you're kind of playing yourself at a risk there. Yeah. And I think, you know, real estate is definitely the game. I mean, I've been in real estate in big ways. I've sold off a bunch. Right now I'm in that ramp up stage again. I'm working in two or three markets where we're doing we're doing home flips through um tax sales and foreclosures. And that's been proving very lucrative for us. So again, another niche within the real estate market. Yep. And um, and it, it's a great market for us because I've been in the business for so long, I can value engineer more profit than someone starting out. And, you know, I'm not an expert in that field, like, like some of my friends are, but that's the beauty of networking is I have friends that know more than me in some categories and I know more than them in other categories and you help each other. So yeah, I love the real estate game. And I guess one of the big takeaways on this topic would be so many people I forget the quote, but but uh, Warren Buffett was asked a long time ago, why don't more people follow your investing strategy? And he said, no one wants to get rich slow. Yeah, and so yeah. I think, yeah, so I think the big mistake that people make, and that's why I'm glad you guys agree with me, is that preaching the base, get the base, index funds are great. You know, there's lots of different ways to make money with your base. And then you get your real estate base and then you grow from there because so many people in my DMs are like, oh, this guy's an old guy. He's a joke telling us to buy index funds. I'm going to go buy stocks. And I'm like, okay, great. Go buy stocks. If you want to pick individual stocks and you think you can beat the best and brightest minds with the best algorithms on earth, go for it. But, and I mean, I have a stock portfolio too, but overall, I always want people to have a base. So if they're wrong, they're not going, oh, shit, we got to move out of this house. We got to sell our car or worse, it gets repossessed, you know, because a lot of people are so risky early on or even in the mid stages in their earlies and 40s. Then they end up being 45 years old and they have less than 100K saved or or less than like a $300,000 net worth. Then they really got to accelerate and make some good decisions to get ahead. Yeah. So. It's interesting that we've gone through like kind of stages here and the evolution of this investing game. Can you talk to the importance of, or I kind of want your thoughts here because you've had your hand and dipped in a lot of pots here. What are your thoughts on hiring a coach for some people that are, Hey, maybe they are invested in real estate. Maybe they want to buy businesses. Maybe they started their own business. Maybe they create content and they want to generate cash flow that way. There's, there's just 
an entrepreneurial spirit within both of us and obviously you. Did you have someone help and hold your hand as a guiding light at any point through this process? And what do you recommend for people that are looking for, like, I just think about us growing up, we've had coaches in every single sport that we've played. And I know you played sports. And then when you get into the real world, you're like, there's no one. It's like, I go read a book. I go to YouTube university and you just figure it out. You get beat over the head. So I'm just curious on what your thoughts are. Everybody has a different take. I don't know who your audience is and I don't know how big it is, but you guys are crushing the game with these questions. Literally bravo to you. So yeah, I, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes. So do I have coaches? I have the brightest minds in the planet that I get to work with. I don't have to pay them because they need me too. So for me, I'm blessed. If I have a question about something that is super, super high level, like today, I had a call with a woman. I'm not going to call her out on this, on this show. And I think she is the brightest mind when it comes to venture capital startups and funding, specifically investing, angel investing and such. She DM me and she was like, you're brilliant. We need to talk. We need to meet. And I spent an hour with her earlier and she's way smarter than me at all of the really technical backend financial stuff revolving around venture and angel investing. So I was like, look, we have to work together. I'll help you in the fields that I'm the expert in. You help me um, go through all these deals. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes people make, let's say people, someone is starting to grow and they're really getting there and they're 25 or 30 years old. And you're absolutely right. You hit it on the, na the nail on the head. We have coaches our whole entire life, teachers and coaches and everything. Then when you get out into the business world and you're trying to like create these side hustles or you're trying to create a business, we have nobody to turn to. You can ask people, you know, on the internet or you might meet someone on a DM or something, but most of the time they're going to try and sell you something. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is not hiring a coach because again, it gets back to velocity. If you want to learn the real estate game, it's going to take you five years of mistakes, no matter how many YouTube videos and no matter how much content you make, five years of mistakes before you get it right. And you can hire a coach that might cost you a grand or two grand or five grand. Like me right now, I have, if you go to my link, uh, link in bio, I have um, hourly consulting. I charge people $500 an hour and I could book that out hundred hours a week if I wanted. I have it limited. Um, but these people can call me, spend an hour with me for 500 bucks, and it probably saves them a hundred thousand in mistakes for that 500 bucks. So what a great question. I think everyone be selective, but find a coach that can help you because what it does, it speeds up your learning curve dramatically. Episode 153, Jamie Gruber. I had an eight to five Monday through Friday type schedule. Uh, as a claims adjuster, which not something I grew up wishing to be, but good company, good benefits, good everything you talk about when you get a job. And I was good at it. I, was, I just was good at it. It was naturally uh, gifted to do the sorts of things. It was a, a fast paced job. It had you know metrics around speed and energy. And that's just kind of me, right? So it worked for me. And I just started to naturally ascend. I, I became a supervisor within two years, which was unheard of. I was 23 years old became a manager a year after that of an entire region, which was again, unheard of at 24 years old. And then I started looking at opportunities in, over the next few years to, to do something bigger, moved to Boston. I know where you were, Ryan. So I moved to Boston for a while and uh, took up like a higher level position there. And then it was like, man, what else is possible? You know, So I kind of got this bug of keep climbing, keep making more, get to this next level. And I took every job that I thought I needed to in order to get to the executive level, because that's where the big money, the big bonus, the big uh, equity, all of that stuff came. And I hit it. 17 years in, I hit the equity level position. It will be out to Michigan where everyone wants to go. And um, uh, I just, I hated it immediately within 30 days. You know, it was the, like the shiny new car that you bought it. And then you realize 30 days later, oh, I have dogs, I have kids. Like this thing's a mess already, but it was nice for a little bit. That was the job. And it wasn't the company. It wasn't the job. It wasn't anything other than me believing that whatever I was feeling urgency around, whatever I was feeling stuck by, was solved by the next level. Like, oh, you know what? I know why I'm unsatisfied in my current job. It's because I don't have the job I deserve. Once I get that, oh, game on. And then I got it and it was like, yeah, man, hey, big life lesson. External validation doesn't really work. It's got to come from inside. You got to be driven from inside. And I think all along the way, when I look at my corporate career, like the roles that I took on that gave me the most juice, 
no pun intended, that gave me the most sort of uh, energy, right, was was the jobs that were sort of entrepreneurial. Like they gave me, at one point, they my company, knowing I wanted to be an executive, and a lot of companies do this, like, oh, let's develop you laterally and you know take this role, take that role, get experience. One job was like, hey, man, we want to give you this gig. Um, just so you know, it's a completely new unit, and we don't know if it's going to be around in a year. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, what happens with me if it's not around in a year? They're like, yeah, we don't know. Like, you have no return ticket, no guaranteed position, nothing. And I'm making, you know, 150, 180 grand a year at this point. So it wasn't nothing. Wife, I had a kid, one kid at that point. So, but I said, you know what? Let's go. And I turned that, you know, sort of misfit, new, like, we don't know what to do with these people. We're going to cram them into, a, into an organization, like as a virtual group, way before we have all this COVID virtual, whatever, like this is 2013, right? Figure it out. It went from sort of this, you know, tired group of people that were thrown somewhere because no one knew what to do with them to a desirable place because of the idea of, hey, uh, you know, I'm marketed. You can be virtual. You don't have to talk to customers in this particular organization, right? Like I turned it into something that actually became a big deal. And now as I left, it went from me and four leaders, supervisors with, a, with you know, five, seven or eight people reporting to them to an entire structure of about 400 people that exists still at that company, right? So that was when I got the most energy. So along the way, I guess I saw cues that entrepreneurship might be something I'm interested in, but I'll be honest, I just, I never felt like I could be that. I didn't start the lemonade stand when I was a kid. I didn't, you know, create the the business out of a landscaping company when I was 16, like some entrepreneurs do. Like they just kind of get it right away. Took me to 40, 42. So, <laughs> so at that point, once I hit it and we can get into how and all that, but you know, I made the, I made the pivot, I made the jump and it's been, it's been an interesting ride ever since. Well, Jamie, I got to give you credit here because uh, there's a stigma out there that like, you know, once you're comfortable, once you're in your forties, once you kind of know the routine, like not many people change course at that point, man. Like, it's just like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Like it's easy or it gets easier, right? Like not many people have the fortitude to say, no, let's go. Like, I don't actually want this. And if I also think it's, it's interesting that it took you as many years as it did to figure that out too. Like when I don't know, I don't like something. It's like probably in the first week, but I like literally jumped the gun so fast. Maybe I should wait a little bit longer, you know? So it's like, but it's, but that's interesting that one, it took you as long as it did, but then also after as much cushion that you had, you felt like, no, I can still go and do my own thing. And that leads me to my next question. Like what was the next thing? Yeah. I know what it is, but I don't know if everybody listening is. No, that's cool. Those. Like, what was it and what gave you the mindset to say, like, I'm not only entrepreneurial within what I'm doing, but I really can take this outside and, and grow it and and flourish? Great question. And on that point about the staying power, as I reflect on it, um, real quick as an aside, when I first started at Progressive, it was much smaller. It was way more like, hey, man, like, this is the job. We need you to get this outcome and, like, just don't breach ethics or laws and figure it out. That was good for a while, right? But as the company grew and got bigger and they became more systematized, more process-driven, that became the constraint for me because it was like, no, 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 The guardrails are this tight. Do not deviate. Like I was making way more, had way more authority, but had way less autonomy, to be honest with you, as I did when I was a $26,000 a year entry-level um, claims rep. You know what I mean? It's it's incredible like that. Over time, like there was a, I don't know when it was, but there was a point in time where I think you know, if I were to if I were to break it down, it was probably like the last it's still a long time, last like 10 years where that was present. But I had been conditioned by the prior 10 years to think like, oh, I, you know, this is what I meant to do. So anyway, that's just a quick aside on that. Uh, but to your question. So real estate made sense for a lot of reasons, right? Because 40, you know, at the time I was late 30s, I guess, when I first had these thoughts about like, oh, you know what, I think it might be time to go. You know, I hadn't turned 40 yet when I when I moved to Michigan and took that job. So, you know, I think I think that real estate made a lot of sense. It was practical. It was explainable, defensible to people that would ask me about, like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, it makes sense. It's real estate. It's not like trying to start the next Amazon. And that mattered to me at that point. Right. Others perception mattered to me. Uh, and it was and it was, you know, financially, uh, undisputably a great, great avenue to go down no matter what. Right. Like, you know, even people own people that are high level C-suite executives. They have multiple homes. They have multiple assets. They like real estate just makes sense. So I started with this, this idea of I'm going to buy real estate. And I bought, I had a single family home that I couldn't sell when I moved from New York to Boston years and years ago. And it was a rental property that was more like collect the checks. Hopefully they never call and just like, whatever you want to, you want to pay twice next month. Cause you can't this month. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Like 
no management uh, in place from me. I just, I just, as long as I wasn't losing money, that's all I cared about. And when I got this idea, I reread Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like 34, 35 years old. I was like, man, I got this property. Let me like convert that to an asset, right? Let me like make that an asset. So I did. And then I bought two burrs in the kind of the same town or near the same town in upstate New York. They were, I think, 170 combined that I bought them for. Both needed a ton of work. I estimated 35,000. It ended up being 70. So underestimated that. Um, and but from there, it was like, all right. Nobody's but, ever done that before, Jamie. No, Don't never, worry. never. I know it's. Yeah. But from that point, it was like, wow, it's a lot of work to close on two different properties, two different tax bills, two different everything, right? So I started to get into the idea of multifamily, found a partner. We started looking at multifamily properties and we were getting sort of stonewalled by brokers. Even though he had a few single families, I had a couple of duplex and a single family. We thought that would be enough credibility for a commercial broker, but it just wasn't. We weren't closers. So we had this idea to start a meetup. We start this meetup called Multifamily and More in Michigan. And what's funny is in the, the first two or three months, we had this couple that came to our first two or three meetups. So we didn't own any multifamily. We just started it and we told our, our audience, if you will, hey, look, I, we, we don't own any, you don't own any, or maybe some of you do, but we're all here to learn together, right? So these people liked us enough, me and my partner to say, hey, we got this 16 unit. You know, we've got it under contract with the seller. It's off market. We can't close on it on our own. The bank is requiring what you have, to be honest with you, like some experience, a little bit more liquidity. So- we bought it and it wasn't, a, it was like 750 grand, 755 that we bought it for. Uh, and it was like, all right, this is it. This is the model. We're going to, we're going to start blowing up multifamily. But what happened was I actually got more interested in the multifamily and more community. And I started really enjoying podcasting, creating content, putting out stuff on YouTube, Instagram, all of that about real estate. And then, yeah, if we get some real estate, that's cool. Right. So the pivot for me went from real estate as the, as the solo plan to real estate as the foundation with allowing for that real estate career to build my brand. And then the brand sort of elevated from there and escalated from there and pivoted to more mindset and and all of that. And yeah, you know, without going too in the weeds, but that was real estate was the foundation and it pivoted over to, to uh, brand. When I left my job, I owned with partnerships, 42 units. I've sold all of those so far and now I'm in the syndication space. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the, the path out, if you will. Episode 157, Devon Kennard. But I think when people hear like, oh, I played in the NFL or I played play in the NFL or I played in the NBA, whatever it is, like there are so there are levels to this. You know what I mean? Like not everyone in the NFL, like Danny Dimes just signed a $40 million a year contract, right? Like yeah. that's not the type of money that we're talking about for most, if not 98% of the guys in the league. So I think I just want to remove the stigma that people are like, oh, well, yeah, if you played in the league, like you have all this money, it must be so easy to invest. And I think that's like not the case, man. Like you're a fifth round draft pick. Like, yes, you did make great, great money in the league, no doubt about it. But like yeah. that money compared to like, yeah, if you make $25 million a year, you can put it in the stock market and never think about it. Because at some point after 25 years, you're just going to make 8%. It'll be totally fine. But you had to find your own way. Like you had to like, and you obviously had the mindset to do that too. So I just want to throw that in there because when we release the episode, we're going to like talking to somebody who played in the league. It's not always like the dudes who are making $15 million a year. Like that is not. And I say it's not in the majority, it's like 95 plus percent or no. Yeah, like, I, like I would I would throw out an educated guess and say that like majority of the league ends their career making five million or less. Right. And probably yeah. like what's the average lifespan of a career? Four years? Like four years. That? So that's including some guys who end up playing seven or eight and get a decent second deal. Like that's including those guys because the average NFL career is three and a half. So you talk, those guys made a few hundred thousand dollars. They're lucky if they had in their pocket or a million or a million and a half. So those guys who are only playing three and a half, that's all they're getting. But even if you add in some guys who play five years, six years, seven years, even eight years, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who, when you, when you say how much they actually got paid after taxes, after all their beef, majority of guys make 5 million or less. Um, and, like five million is a lot of money, so I'm not a lot of money. Right, but it's not nearly as much as people, you know, think when you're when you're talking about guys who that is all they're gonna make, or like vastly majority of what they're gonna make. And when you think about, they had to buy their personal house, their mama house, they got a car, they like. So you start to dwindle that down, and then you have expenses that come on top of that. So the biggest issue with pro athletes, and that's where it's like. 
it's getting to a point where some guys are getting paid so much money to where, like you said, it's really not going to matter unless they're absolutely, you know, idiots with it. But even then, so many guys have lifestyle habits and lifestyle expenses that are so high that it becomes problematic. If before you blink at the first of the month every month, your your bills are fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars a month, even if you got twenty in the bank, that's real. Yep. Yep. And 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 having those kind of expenses isn't that crazy when you start to factor in, oh, they bought four million dollar credit. Then think about the bills that come with a four million dollar credit and some of the help that you need. They probably got a cleaner. They probably have a ridiculous pool maintenance person. They probably have lawn service. Like, so you start to think about that. Oh, they bought their mom a $600,000 credit. Oh, they got a Rolls Royce and this. And like, so you start to, and then think about the insurance, all those things. Then they got a big chain, a Rolex, a bus down. They got insurance because they don't want that to get, like, you start to accumulate all that before they spent a dime. Their life expenses and, and their bills and fixed expenses, I should call them, are an extravagant amount of money. And then they're still traveling and they still hit the clubs and they're still like doing the things that they like to do in their life. And that's how you can make a ton of money and still end up in a distressed situation a few years after you're done playing. Dude, just all those things you added up right there. I feel like that evaporates the whole check, the whole the whole deal. Yeah, so you're making a couple million dollars, that's gone. It's insane. If you, yeah. When you when you buy these cribs too, it's like also you have. I mean, unless you're paying in full, a lot of these have mortgages too. What are you going to be able to keep up with that? Even when you're done the league, you don't know what's going to happen. Like injuries, God forbid, or just you, you know the new guy comes in, the young cat. So for me, you you've seen all this stuff firsthand, which is so cool, cool in a way, right? It's kind of scary in a way as well. Yeah. But my thought is. Do these stories or these these situations have these motivated you to help out guys around the league? Because I feel like you're you're a stud that's made made your way through the league, but also you intelligently placed your money into investments that have become very fruitful, right? We talked about twenty five units almost coming up on thirty by the end of the year, bunch of syndications, and you have an advisor and things like that. And you're you're set, dude, right? Like you're ninth year in the NFL, coming up on number ten, hopefully, right? Um and We'll go through all the teams and everything, but for me, I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, I want to go to Devon to get all the ins and outs and how I should be spending my money, even if I am making that massive check, because I don't want it all to be gone. So I'm just curious if you've had some people hit you up, and that's maybe the reason for helping write your book. Like, what's your thoughts on the whole thing? Well, I would say at first it was very intimidating because I, I like didn't see a lot of people doing what I was doing investment wise. So I was like, am I tripping? Does this work? Um, and then once I started to have success and some proof into what I was doing, you know, then I gained confidence. But then it was like, I didn't want people to look down on me or to question my commitment to the NFL. Like it's that whole shut up and dribble. And you know, like it's, it's still a stigma. I think it's, it's not as strong as it used to be because so many people have, other interests outside of, you know, just playing the game now, but they're still like, are you locked in? You're doing all this other stuff off the field or you're posted about this and that. Or like, so I had to get over those stigmas. And, but once I had gained the confidence and I was able to be like, man, anybody who knows me and is in, in work with me every day, they know how serious I take my job, how committed I am, the dedication I put, but this is things that I think matters and I'm passionate about outside of the game. So I just started to put out like content and the the reception I've gotten, not only across the NFL, but even even other sports and regular fans, like I, it's made me start to realize that I'm not saying anything that you guys don't know or probably don't say on this podcast or anyone else. But being an African American, being an athlete with my specific skill set, with my uh, demographic, I can touch a different audience than a lot of people in the financial space, in the real estate space. And so I, it was kind of like, why not be, why not now? And that was my motivation behind everything I'm doing on social media and writing my book. It all adds up that just came out yesterday. Like that was, you know, that was my motivation behind. Absolutely. So it all adds up, right? That's the book. Yeah. Yeah. So go check that out. By the time this episode comes out, his uh, Devon's book will be out. So definitely check it out. But um, so I want to talk about your your investing journey more specifically now like you mentioned you have 25 units you're trying to build the 30 
you said you started in Indiana, I believe. That's where you said. Yeah. yeah. Have you? The question for, for you here is: We can talk about the syndications as well, but is your entire portfolio in Indiana? Um, can you talk about scaling that a little bit? Like, what did you? What did you realize? Like, was your buy box and uh, the area that you wanted to start to scale that thing? So um, I started in Indiana because I met uh, a flipper who was flipping tons of homes out there. My partner and I met and he was kind of gave us game. We met at a meetup in the off season in, in Arizona. He happened to be in town. We got connected and went out there and the market was attractive because he kind of gave us game and was kind of walking us through how he did it. And then on top of that, it was like, I liked the cost, like, when I was looking, I was playing in New York and I was, um, I'm from Arizona. Properties were way more expensive. So for me, I was like, I want to get started, but buying a, even a three dollars property at the time just seemed crazy to me. So I'm thinking I'm getting a three bed, two, two bath in Indiana uh, for $86,000 and I'm putting 12 in and my partner's putting 12. That just seemed like I'll be pissed if I miss it, if I lose 12,000 but it's not going to end me. So, yep. all right, let's go. So that was my mindset, but I quickly learned that I didn't have the core four that I mentioned. So that's um, a real estate agent. Um, you know, you need your lender, property manager, and contractor. I didn't have that in place there and I wasn't able to scale. So I'm like, this one property was great, but it's it, like I wasn't able to multiply. The guy that sold us the home, he found a couple of institutional buyers that were buying up all his inventory and he started ghosting us and like not answering it. Like, so when I started to reach out saying I wanted to buy more properties, I, he was responding back in weeks, sometimes months. And like, I could just tell he wasn't really, wasn't really trying to play ball. So I was, you know, I was like, all right, I need to move on. And that led, led me to kind of figure out other markets. And I got connected in a, in the Ohio market because of relationships. And I met a guy who was flipping on a large scale out there. And I built those six units um, and I got into six properties there. And then I was listening to the Bigger Pockets uh, podcast, heard about a guy who was doing properties in Kansas City. And I connected with him, went out there in the off season, started buying and bought six properties out there. And at the time, and really up until recently, I was buying turnkey properties. And the reason why I was doing that is I didn't have the bandwidth to handle a renovation and to to trust trust people to do all of that. I'm my main thing is football. I wanted it to be passive. So I didn't I didn't, you know, trust that I can deal with all that. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy turkey properties. I'm bought I bought it cash. So my first 13 properties in total, I bought cash and I bought them for about 1. 1.2 million and I was generating anywhere from nine to eleven thousand dollars in cash flow every month. And I was like, now this is, now we're talking. And I rolled out like that for a minute. And, um, you know, that led me to closer to the last couple of years. And I started having bad issues with my core four in Ohio property management. They stunk and were giving me issues. I low-key wanted to get out of Ohio. I was thinking about selling. Instead, I ended up refinancing and I refinanced in a portfolio loan. And I got all of the money. So I put 600K into my properties in Ohio. I got $620,000 out and they were still going to be cash flowing. So I'm like, all right, like now I'm not the leverage game. Now, 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 we're, now we're working. I got, I made all this cash flow along the time, along the time. And then um, I got all my capital out. Now it's still going to cash flow. So then I do the same thing in Kansas City. They didn't appreciate as much. So of the 600K I had in, I got 500K out. So I was like, I own 13 total units now. And I only got 100K in the ground with properties that are still cash flowing. Like, okay, now I see how this real estate game works. And, you know, now I've kind of evolved and I'm not just doing turnkey. And I'm really focused on the Tampa market right now because I feel like I have a great core four team there that that's taking care of things. And I've kind of dived in. But I got value add projects going on out there and a six unit and a duplex. And I'm going to kind of let these get uh, stabilized and then double down in, in the Tampa market. And, and it's a little higher. So I was buying a lot of class C at first, like all those properties in Ohio, Kansas City. And my first one in Indy were closer to B minus, but probably like C, C plus. And now I'm with like B plus like areas, like really solid. 
just because I found that cash flow, it looks better on paper in C areas. But when you start to talk about turnover and how they're taking care of your properties and the issues you have, I found that like, I rather have a little more, little less cash flow on paper early on, but for stable properties with great tenants that is, and it's just going to, it's going to pay out more in a couple of years than, than what I built. So I'm, I'm kind of shifted gears and that's what I'm working on. Episode 175, Austin Rutherford. If you could take us back to, I'd like to go maybe like pre-real estate. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and then why the hell you got into real estate investing and have become, you know, quite the entrepreneur that you are. Yeah. So born and raised Columbus, Ohio. Uh, my original dream was, was to go to the NBA. So I, I was a baller back in the day. And, uh, you know, unfortunately things didn't work out. Uh, fell out of love with the game of, fell out of love of the game of basketball and then fell in love. Uh, with the game of real estate. So really what put me all is a book called Think and Grow Rich. That opened up my mind to the possibilities. And then I, for whatever reason, I was sitting on a rooftop looking at an eight-unit apartment building. And I was like, somebody has got to be making money on that thing. And uh, that led me to passive residual income, which then led me to real estate. And I've been doing it for the last like eight or nine years now. Oh, wow. So it's funny that you say that. It sparked something for me. When I was in college, I was thinking about that too. And I didn't get into real estate investing when I was in college. We did it like four years later when I was 26, I think where I was 27. But I remember being in this house, 10 units or 10 bedrooms. So it was one, uh, yeah. five up, five down. And like everyone was paying $750. And I was like, this house is probably worth 250 grand, like 300 grand. Like this, like this dude's probably murdering. And meanwhile, <laughs> like there's holes in the walls everywhere. He's got to do some maintenance. <laughs> but that had a similar thought to you. So it's funny that you say that. I'm curious about like what made you take the plunge then? Like- you know, watching is one thing, but like diving all in and, and doing what you did to build this portfolio and wholesaling and flipping, it's it's quite the venture. So what made you take the plunge? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always, uh, you know, been a hustler and like money since I was a kid. So I would cut grass, shovel driveways, flip candy, make buckeye necklaces. So, so I was like, I was always making money. And, you know, I the basketball was my love. That fell out. So there was like an empty part, you know, in my heart, right? And I was like, what do I do? And then I was like, cool, like real estate, pat what did it is passive residual income. So passive is money that you make without working. Residually is money that you make continuously. I was like, well, if I can make money without working continuously, it sounds pretty good to me. And, uh, you know, alternatively, I was like, well, cool. The NBA is not going to make me millions. Real estate is going to make me millions, right? There's 90% of all people who file a tax return with a million dollars or more on it had real estate in their portfolio. So it just all kind of aligned. It was like, real estate it is. So I just started buying, you know, those little like uh, books. Back in the day, they would like mail you like binders of papers. And that's when I got into the game. So, that, you know, just every like couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there, just learning as much as I could. Um, and then I actually went to Phoenix, Arizona to play basketball for a year out, out of uh, high school. And that's when I started learning all this and then decided to move back to Columbus, Ohio, because it's what I knew. Um, got a valet job and then ended up buying my first uh, duplex uh, rental property um, in December of 2013 uh, was was that first rental property. Wow. Love it. That's awesome. So I want to talk about the first rental. Actually, maybe it's your first flip because I know one of them you had a, it really helped you kind of start. It was a big hit to help yep. you kind of snowball up to the next deal. So let's talk about that. Was that the first rental or was that the first flip where you, and I won't tell how much you made, you could tell us. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that was the first flip. So I bought that rental when I was 20 and then I was broke because I had 30, 35 grand saved, put as a down payment. I was like, well, it took me 20 years to buy one. I got to make money faster to buy more. So then that's what put me into flipping houses. Um, and then I ended up, uh, so I, 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 I got taught to raise money, other people's money to flip houses. I didn't know what wholesale was. I didn't know what any of that was. So I was like, cool, I'm going to go flip a house with other people's money. Um, so started doing marketing and then found that opportunity. But the thing is, is like, so I joined the coaching program, $25,000, maxed out my credit cards. And I thought I was going to get rich overnight. From that day to the day I made money was a 16 month journey. So it definitely did not happen overnight. I was valeting cars 50 to 60 hours a week. I was going to college, taking 15 credit hours. And I was trying to start my real estate business on the side for 16 months straight. And 10 months into that journey, I ended up getting a call from somebody uh, that wanted to sell their property. It was through a probate list. Uh, so put it under contract for $74,000, uh, needed 170 grand in construction. So 600 square foot addition, uh, $25,000 in the foundation, uh, framing, roof, gutters, electric plumbing, anything you can imagine. 
Um, so raised a quarter million to fund that deal. And then it was 10 months to buy it. And then another six months to buy, renovate and sell it. So that's that 16 month timeline. And then sold it and pocketed $107,000 in that profit four days after my 22nd birthday. And then that, I literally reinvested every single penny. And then that's really what, what blew things up for me. Okay. So most people's first slips don't go that, don't go that way. So I, I, it, it, like almost everyone says, well, we, you know, we made like five, 10 grand, which we've done one like by ourselves. We've done a number of other projects, but we don't one like flip burr kind of thing by ourselves. And I was like, holy shit. I don't know. Like, I don't want to do that again. Right. It's a lot of work. I'm curious what gave you the confidence, but also the confidence to raise a quarter million dollars when you'd never done something before. Like who, who bought into you and how did you get them to buy it? Yeah. So, I mean, I was 21 years old when I put the property under contract um, and I had the duplex from a year ish prior to that. So I guess arguably I had some real estate experience, but it's very minimal real estate experience, no business experience. I was, I'm 21 years old. Um, so kind of what gave me some of the confidence along the way when I put it under contract, um, I was going to a lot of networking events uh, leading up to that. And I met a guy in the Columbus market that I was in the game for probably two or three years before I was so successfully doing it. Um, so I ended up calling him when uh, I got it under contract because I was like, I don't know how to raise this money. Um, and I asked, I didn't know it was wholesaling at the time, but I asked him, I was like, hey, can you come look at it and let me know if I'm crazy? And then if I can't do it, like, do you want to pay me five or 10 grand for the deal? And he came out, luckily he walked it. He's like, yo, this is a great deal. You know, if you can't get it funded, let me know. I would love to buy it, but, you know, try and get it funded and, and do the deal yourself. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing, you know, again, I had a mentor early on. Um, so going through, I actually remember getting on a phone call with them. Um, and cause I got a $28,000 price reduction. I had it in contract for 102 and got it negotiated down to 74. Um, so then walking me through that process of getting inspected, bringing out a structural engineer to get that price reduction. Um, and then, you know, him just kind of talking me through the rehab, gave me a little bit more confidence. And then I got, uh, I had at least five different general contractors through the property, um, to quote it before I bought it. So I got the estimates of the rehab before purchasing it. Um, so, you know, luckily found a decent one, you know, that, that, you know, completed 98% of the job. Um, and you know, all those things, you know, kind of gave me the confidence like, okay, Hey, this is a, you know, good deal. Uh, I'm going to give it a whirl. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how we ended up taking it down. Wow. Uh, I want to talk over, I think we breezed through it too, but you also mentioned at some point spending 25 grand, right? On this mentorship. Was this for the program or was this to gain that mentor to teach you the ropes? Yeah. So, uh, so mentorship coaching, like it's always like this misconstrued thing. So it was, it was a program with access to coaching calls. So it was a mentor program type of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that that's what I did early on. Twenty five thousand maxed out my credit cards. That's a bet on yourself, man. That's what I'm saying. You're valeting cards. You're taking class, and I mean you had the one rental, right? But that's insane to drop twenty five. We're hesitant at this point. We're in a different spot than that, right? We're we're ten years into our job, so I think yeah. it's insane to bet on yourself. You knew what you wanted. You went after it. And clearly, it's paid off for you. So I think that's amazing. Man. So I, I think the story going back on it is, is um, an eye opener. I, I spend probably fifty dollars to $100,000 a year today, continuously, every year since, on mentors and coaches. But going back to that first, I've never did it up until that first time. Um, and it was like this three-day thing, the day two, they pitched you. Day three, you had to have the money, $25,000. And I, this is like a couple months after I just bought that house. So I, I had maybe $1,000 to my name. And, but I was sitting in the seat, right? And there, I feel like there's opportunities that pass people by a few times in their life that people have to take advantage of. And to me, I was sitting there, I was like, this is it. Like, this is the opportunity, right? I mean, I don't know what, what made me feel like that. I just felt it in my heart. Um, so I went home that night and I went to AmericanExpress.com and told them I made $100,000 a year. Uh, I was 20, I think I was still 20 at the time. Um, you know, I'm not going to say I lied. I made maybe fibbed a little bit. Stretched and, the uh, truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go with that. Stretched uh, it, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, they gave me a $15,000 um, uh, credit card on it. And so I still I was still $10,000 short. And so I called everybody I knew. I was like, hey, you know, can I get this? Can you lend it to me? Can I borrow it? And everyone was like, hey, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it typically is. You can't just like get rich overnight. How do you know this real estate thing's going to work? And I was like defeated, right? And at the time, I was still living with my parents. And uh, it was 2 a.m., and I literally crawled under my parents' dining dining room table because I was genuinely feeling like I was missing out on an opportunity of a lifetime um, and started crying. And it was, I guess, a little bit more than crying. My parents heard me upstairs at uh, 2 a.m. 
And, uh, you know, thank God they came down, heard it, and they've seen what I've been able to do. You know, I, I hustled when I was young. I played basketball. I saved 30 grand by the age of 20. I bought a house and they believed in me, obviously. So they were luckily enough for me, you know, they were able to front the other $10,000 for me. Um, and, you know, that's how the 25000 came together. But, you know, I, I long story, the reason I tell that story is I see too many people see that opportunity and not go get it. They're like, oh, I can't do it. Dag on it. But like, that's why people miss out on those opportunities in their life. Yeah, 100%. And a pro tip for people, out, maybe not a pro tip, but a tip that I just learned for people out there, I have a Chase Sapphire preferred card. All you have to do is call them and ask them for more money, by the way, or or even do it online. Like I had a $25,000 line and now it's 40, but just because I asked. So people got to just ask and like, because the banks want to lend you money. Now, if you're smart, you pay it off at the end of every month, which is what I, well, I try to do. But like, you know, you have access to the bank's money, use it. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.